Welcome to Andrew's Audio Tours of Early Christian Rome, the podcast that helps you see how Rome's most famous sites are connected to the New Testament and the early church. This series of tours is designed to be used on the ground. Listen along and I'll walk you through what you see while you're standing at a particular spot in Rome. These are enhanced podcasts, which means that they have images embedded in them at certain points during playback. Depending on the device that you're using, you should be able to see some photos on your screen that will help you get the most out of this tour. Trajan's Column and Basilica. It doesn't get any more Roman than this. Standing among the ruins of one of Rome's greatest emperors, you're also deeply connected to Christian history. This tour has two stops. At both of them, we'll examine the Roman persecution of Christians. You'll end your tour very close to Trajan's Market, and there's a separate tour for that stop. You might consider tagging a stop at the markets onto the end of this tour. Begin by standing at the base of Trajan's Column, on the side nearest the Altara della Patria, the tall, boxy, white building that you really can't miss from this part of town. This tour involves a very short walk of about 300 meters. Restart your tour when you're in the right spot. Let's take a minute to see what's around. There are several modern features in this area that have interesting histories in their own right. Immediately behind Trajan's Column, you can see a white marble church with a dome. This is the Church of the Most Holy Name of Mary, completed relatively recently in 1751. Turning to your left is a smaller domed church called St. Mary of Loreto, built earlier in the 1500s. Continuing to turn to the left, you see the enormous Altara della Patria, or in English, the Altar of the Fatherland. Inaugurated in 1911, it's a monument to Victor Emmanuel, the first king of modern Italy. It's also a very controversial structure, both for how conspicuous it is and because such a large and complicated archaeological area had to be cleared to place it right there. Between you and the Altar of the Fatherland is a road named the Via dei Fori Imperiali. It runs from this spot all the way down to the Colosseum. It cuts through the heart of all the most significant public squares built by the ancient Roman emperors. Does that seem like a bit of a tragic and senseless destruction of Italian history? Indeed. This road was built by Benito Mussolini, the fascist dictator of Italy, from 1925 to 1943. Mussolini wanted to reclaim the glory of imperial Rome for 20th century Italy. But he was really less interested in the archaeology and more interested in how the sites could be exploited for propaganda purposes. And for propaganda purposes, it was quite nice to have a beautiful road that plowed through the imperial squares. It's one of the things that archaeologists most regret, and it definitely was a travesty. But since it's already done, it is worth a stroll along the cobbled streets. It is, indeed, a lovely road. So that's where you are now. Turn back to the Column of Trajan, and we'll start our tour. The image on your screen shows the original layout of this area. The red arrow shows approximately where you're standing as you face the column. The column of Trajan that's just in front of you stands at the very edge of Trajan's Forum. A forum is best thought of as a public square, usually with some public buildings surrounding it. It was a marketplace where vendors set up shop, a place for political debates, and just a convenient spot to meet. Trajan built this forum, 
And in the same area are the remains of four other fora built by four different Roman emperors. In ancient Rome, freestanding columns like this one were monuments to military victory. Trajan's column commemorates Trajan's victories in two different Dacian wars. Through these wars, Trajan conquered Dacia, roughly equivalent to modern-day Romania, and he made it a province in the empire. Wrapping around the column is a chronological sequence of carvings that tells the story of the two Dacian wars. There are 155 different scenes, over 2,600 carved figures. Trajan himself appears about 60 times. The figures may look small from down here, but they're actually about two-thirds life-sized. Inside the column is a spiral staircase carved out of the solid stone. After climbing to the top, there's space for about 15 people to enjoy the views of this area, and especially the view of Trajan's Forum. While they were up there, ancient Romans could have taken a closer look at the statue on top. Today there's a statue of St. Peter, but originally the column was topped by a bronze statue of Trajan, dressed as a military leader. Before we move on, make a mental note of the height of the column, which is about 35 meters. The statue of Trajan on top would have made it even taller originally. Interestingly, the inscription on the base of Trajan's column emphasizes not the Dacian Wars, but the height of the column. The inscription says that this column was erected in Trajan's honor by the Roman Senate and people for the purpose of demonstrating how great the hill was that was removed to construct Trajan's Forum. Unfortunately, it's not exactly clear how the column does that. There was a large hill here which had to be removed to install Trajan's Forum, so some archaeologists take the inscription literally. Maybe the hill was about 35 meters tall at its highest point, and the column is a visual illustration of how much earth was removed when this Forum was built. Other archaeologists take the inscription more symbolically. Maybe the inscription means that building the Forum was a really big deal, and the column is Rome's way of saying thank you. Either way, this entire area is a marvel of ancient engineering. Take a slow walk around the column to the left now, around the semicircle, so that you end up directly on the other side of the column from where you started. Just enjoy the view of the column while you walk. Trajan was one of Rome's greatest emperors, and his forum was amazing in its day, but of course, that's not why this tour has brought you here. We're here because we still have a series of remarkable letters written around 112 AD between the emperor Trajan and a Roman governor named Pliny. Pliny was overseeing a province in what is now Turkey, and Pliny wrote to Trajan with some questions about how to handle the first Christians. I'd like to tell you as completely as possible what Pliny and Trajan wrote, so this next part will be a bit lengthy. But hang with me, because this is one of the most amazing documents that has survived from the ancient world, and it reveals so much about the early Christians. In 112 AD, Pliny wrote to Trajan and said that he had never attended a Christian trial, so he was unsure of what to do or what the correct procedure was when he met a Christian. Pliny first detailed what happened. Some private citizens came to Pliny and accused others of being Christians. Later, an anonymous document also circulated, which denounced still more people as Christians. Pliny interrogated the Christians that he could find, and to get even more information, he tortured two female slaves who were deacons in the local church. 
Despite all this, he could not find anything that seemed harmful. Just what Pliny called, quote, depraved, excessive superstition, end quote. Pliny said that he sent any Roman citizens onward to Rome for trial. In the case of accused Christians who were not Roman citizens, Pliny's procedure was to interrogate them, to warn them to renounce their faith. If they denied being Christians, or if they were Christians, but were willing to renounce their faith, they could pray to the Roman gods and make a sacrifice on behalf of the Emperor Trajan, and they would be released. If they would not, then Pliny warned them two more times, threatening them with punishment each time. If, after three warnings, the Christian refused to recant, then Pliny had them executed. Pliny gave his rationale as this, quote, I have no doubt that, whatever the nature of their beliefs, their stubbornness and their inflexible obstinacy surely deserve to be punished, end quote. Pliny told Trajan that he was concerned about how to move forward because he believed that a large number of people from all social classes might be implicated as Christians. He asked Trajan three questions. First, should younger Christians be treated more leniently than older ones? Second, is it a crime to have ever been a Christian? Or is there forgiveness for those who have ceased to be Christians? And third, is it the name of Christianity itself that is enough to condemn an accused person? Or is it some particular crimes that are associated with being a Christian? Trajan wrote a short letter back to Pliny, and Trajan's words are worth quoting in full. Trajan wrote, quote, You observed proper procedure, my dear Pliny, in sifting the cases of those who had been denounced to you as Christians. For it is not possible to lay down any general rule to serve as a kind of fixed standard. Christians are not to be sought out. If they are denounced and proved guilty, they are to be punished, with this exception, that whoever denies that he is a Christian and really proves it, that is, by worshiping our gods, even though that person was under suspicion in the past, he will obtain pardon through repentance. But anonymously posted accusations ought to have no place in any prosecution. This is both a dangerous kind of precedent and out of keeping with the spirit of our age. End quote. Amazing, isn't it? And you're standing beneath the monument of the emperor who wrote that letter. That correspondence shows a key reason why the first Christians were sometimes put to death. From the perspective of Roman authorities, it was generally the disruption to the established order that brought persecution on Christians, what Pliny called their stubbornness and their inflexible obstinacy. The letters between Trajan and Pliny demonstrate very common government attitudes. Usually, Roman authorities didn't particularly care what faith their subjects practiced. Subject peoples could keep their own religion and their own gods as long as they'd respect the power of the empire and offer a sacrifice or two to the Roman emperor occasionally. Worship of the emperor was one of the few things that held all of these disparate peoples together. And just about everyone in the empire was happy to do that. Most of the nations and ethnic groups in the empire already had dozens of local gods, so adding in a few more Roman gods or emperors to the mix was no big deal. Christians were different. They were a new, upstart religion, that claimed there was only one God, and they adamantly refused to participate in these practices of pagan worship that held the entire empire together. And from the Roman point of view, 
that was a problem. If Christians were willing to disobey direct commands from governors like Pliny because they answered to a higher authority in heaven, then they were a threat to the very survival of the entire imperial system. We'll think more about these letters and what they meant for the early Christians at our next stop. For now, take a minute longer to enjoy Trajan's column if you like. When you're done, walk farther down the street toward the row of much smaller columns to the right. Restart the podcast when you reach those columns. Standing between these two rows of broken columns, you're in the middle of the ancient Basilica Ulpia. A basilica was a large public building where law courts met and where other government business was conducted. They were long buildings with rows of columns running down the length to create some aisles and divide up the space. Every Roman town of any size at all had at least one basilica, usually located next to the open-air forum. The Basilica Ulpia, which was also built by Trajan, follows that classic pattern. What you can see here is only a shadow of its original form. Depending on your mobile device, you may be able to see a reconstruction now to help you imagine what it was like. The columns that you can see ran the length of the building, so from this viewpoint, you were looking along the length of the ancient basilica. One end of the building lies buried under the Via de Fori Imperiali, almost at the base of the Altar of the Fatherland. The other end of the basilica is buried beneath the buildings behind your back. So this really was a massive structure. There were originally four rows of columns, which created a total of five aisles in which public business could be conducted. The entire building was richly decorated, with a ceiling probably 25 meters high, rich carvings, and viewing galleries that let the public see the Column of Trajan from a higher elevation. In addition to the columns, you can still see a few remaining pieces of the marble flooring. The yellow marble flooring was imported from Numidia in North Africa, and the purple marble flooring came from Phrygia in Asia Minor. Think back to that letter from Pliny that we heard a few moments ago where Pliny recounts his attempts to question Christians. Pliny's examination of Christians began because a Roman subject came to him and accused someone of being a Christian. That's characteristic of how the first Christians were treated in the empire. Much later, there were a few occasions when the Roman emperors tried to systematically eliminate Christianity. But for the first 200 years or so of the new faith, it really wasn't like that. Roman emperors and governors did not get out of bed each morning looking for Christians to persecute. Rather, most persecution was private. It was neighbors or co-workers, family members of Christians who didn't like them or didn't like their new faith, and they turned them over to the Roman authorities. At least some of this dislike for Christians was probably caused by misunderstandings and unfamiliarity. For example, one central tenet of this new faith was about eating someone's body and drinking their blood, which sounds a lot like cannibalism to an outsider who isn't familiar with Jesus' words at the Last Supper. And these misunderstandings may have persisted for a long time. Even 80 years after the death of Jesus, a well-educated Roman governor like Pliny didn't know anything about Christians or about what they believed. He had heard of them, but all he had heard was that they were suspicious. Ordinary people might have known even less about Christians. Some of those denunciations would have occurred in buildings just like this one. 
All over the empire, basilicas were used for court cases and legal matters, and if a Roman subject wanted to denounce another person as a Christian, they probably made their accusation in a building just like this one. As their numbers multiplied, Christians came to have more and more experience with being accused before magistrates like Pliny. Over time, the early Christian community came to understand more and more the words that had been written in 1 Peter chapter 3. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear so that, when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. The trials may have been held in places like this one, but the number of Christians continued to multiply. They became a greater and greater share of the population, and that had a significant impact on both daily life in the ancient Mediterranean and the course of world history. That's a story for another time, of course. What's important to remember right now is that you're standing in a place where those first converts had to make a choice about their faith. What they chose refined and tested their faith and helped to create the world as we know it today. That's all for now. Gavin Spell is our audio engineer for these tours, and he also performs our music. If you have feedback about these tours, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at andrew at andrewgarnett.org. That's A-N-D-R-E-W at A-N-D-R-E-W-G-A-R-N-E-T-T dot org. I hope that we meet again soon, and for both of our sakes, when we do, I hope that we're standing in the streets of the Eternal City. Thank you.